Welcome to the Weightless Podcast, broadcasting again from Salt Lake City in the NACAC 2018 Convention Hall, day two. Uh, Tom Golden here, uh, and with my longtime friend and colleague Brad, we are still on the data science team. Brad, how's, how's NACAC day two going? Did you, going I, my my feet well. are absolutely dying. Yeah, right the feet are, feet are a little bit rough, and it's it's uh, it's really dry here, so my lips are kind of cracked. A little bit. Uh, but I do like that you said we are still on the data science team, That's because <laughs> if something had changed since yesterday, we would have done something <laughs> problematic. Really, really bad. Yeah, yeah so uh, I'm glad we're still here uh, and gainfully employed, at least until tomorrow. At least until tomorrow. Well, well, hey, that's all you're, it's all you're really ever guaranteed. It's exactly right. Awesome seeing people. If you haven't made it out to a NACAC before, you got to. It's, it's, it's kind of all the epicenter of everything that's happening in enrollment management. And uh, and uh, if you did come by and see us, we, we, we love seeing you guys. Um, we had an awesome opportunity, Brad, uh, to talk with a, a longtime friend of mine um, from the campus side who has done something very similar to what you and I have done, which is go from campus-based admissions to a tech company. Absolutely. Yeah, that was, uh, I, I feel like it, it might be a rare breed, but I, I could be wrong about that. There, there could be quite a few of us. But anyway, uh, getting into that space where you can uh, compare experiences and compare notes about um, what it's like to have previously worked in admissions and now doing something else yep. um, is, is really fascinating. So Jennifer Dewar, uh, uh, formerly with uh, Washington University uh, in St. Louis Admissions Office and Duke University Admissions Office, is now with Duolingo. And uh, we're going to let her explain uh, not only her title, uh, but the really cool work that she's doing, really important work that Duolingo is doing in the English proficiency testing space. So enjoy. Jen Dewar, welcome to Thank the Weightless Podcast. Welcome to our booth here at NACAC. It's a what great is, booth. It is. It yeah. is. Tell us, uh, you, your your title is very long and complicated and barely fits on a business card. Uh, what is it exactly? Correct. Um, my title and my responsibilities are long and complicated. Um, <laughs> so my name is Jen Dewar, and I am head of strategic engagement for the Duolingo English test. Fantastic. Now, um, so tell what's your background, though. You came from higher education well, most recently. Tell, most, tell yeah, that. so most recently, we're going to rewind and we're going to go. We're going to go in chronological order from most recent to least recent. So most recently, I was at Washington University in St. Louis, uh, and I spent about eighteen months there. Prior to that, I worked in the admissions office at Duke University in Durham, North Carolina, from two thousand three to twenty sixteen, and I started my admissions career in two thousand one. That's the year I graduated from college at Connecticut College in nice. New London, Connecticut. When was your first NACAC? Do you remember? Oh, Tom, I'm so glad you asked me. We're breaking the seal on that guy. When, when was that? Okay, so this is a little bittersweet, and I hope I don't get too emotional, but <laughs> my first NACAC, I'm serious. I've been th- it, it, I, I'll tell you why. My first NACAC was the fall of 2002, so 16 years ago, oh. and it was in Salt Lake City. I can see where that's going, yeah. Yeah, so it's full circle. I'm Total coming back, circle. and I have not been to Salt Lake City since my first NACAC. So... <laughs> The Salt Lake City Tourism Board right now is thinking that NACAC should be here every year. Is that the plan? Um, I would support that because it's really dry air here, and so I have great hair. And that's part of the memories I'm having from 2002. I'm like, oh, I remember my hair looked really great the whole time. So I wish this was actually video because the yeah. hair looks good. I'm, I'm just amazed when you just like see like totally very serious people, admissions deans, directors, riding around on bird scooters. It's just a little jarring. Yeah, because these things fly around, and I'm I'm just going to trust that everybody can Google what these bird scooters are. But that has been that has literally been the talk of this conference. What's bird scooters? I, I think that's true. There and, are, and in in fairness, it isn't just 
admissions deans that are funny on bird scooters. <laughs> it is humanity. Everybody's it funny on bird scooters. scooters. Everybody's funny uh, on bird scooters. Yeah, and if you, if you get bonus points if you're wearing a suit and or tie. Or high heels. Or high, high heels. Um, wow. I think you, uh, you also get bonus points if um, you are sober. I agree. That Although has I, to be an issue. That I, has to be an issue. I feel relieved if one is sober on a bird scooter. Yeah, it is an issue. Uh, yeah. yeah, but are these all over all over all your over. neck of the woods yeah. too? I mean, yeah, they, is an epidemic of bird Louisville? scooters in the Absolutely. United States? Epidemic. You know, they're all over my company too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Scooters. So uh, I want to hear more about Duolingo, but first, as we do with our podcast, we 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 do beer. Uh, so we're gonna do a quick toast, and then uh, there we go. Good job, yep. uh, Jen. Why don't you Cheers. kind of tell the good people what we're drinking? Cheers. Okay, we are drinking Epic Brewing Classic Series Intermountain Wheat Beer, and we're drinking, we're sharing a pint right now of that, and it's got a beautiful label, like a classic, like American, like, oh, beautiful for spacious skies, beautiful field of wheat. Enjoying Epic Beer, local Saint, uh, for Salt Lake. This awesome. Nice. Cheers. It's really nice. Absolutely. Yeah, cheers. cheers. Thank Thanks you. for joining us. We really appreciate it. I'm, I'm enjoying this. Here. I'm usually a rosé drinker, but I'm, I'm going to go beer. over to beer, and I'm actually enjoying this. It's the company as well. Okay. I'm sorry. It's the company? I'm enjoying the company. Oh, I was like, I'm not looking at the beer company. No, the, the, the people here uh, in uh, this space with me. Fantastic. At the we're, we're very glad to have you. So, Tom, yeah, let's, let's talk, hear it. Let's talk about Duolingo. Okay. Talk about the, the founding story of it. Yeah. I'm a big, big fan, but... Maybe there are people who are listening who don't know where it came from. Yeah. And then then I definitely want to get into kind of what you're up to now. Totally. Okay. So we're going to have to back up a little bit. I think we're actually going to go back to 1998. Oh, good year. <laughs> um, which is 20 years year. ago. It was a good year, 1998. It sure was. Um, it, it was um, the year that our founder was leaving high school in Guatemala. So our founder's name is Luis Fanon. Uh, Luis applied to Duke University from Guatemala in 1998, and he had to fly to the neighboring country of El Salvador to take an English proficiency test because there were no seats in Guatemala. Uh, Luis matriculated at Duke, did four years there, went on to Carnegie Mellon, got a PhD. He invented uh, reCAPTCHA. CAPTCHA and reCAPTCHA. Yeah, so he's the Fantastic. TED Talks about those that are really amazing. Yeah, yeah he's a crowdsourcing pioneer, and, and, and that was an amazing endeavor for him. He sold it to Google in his 20s, so he arrived at the age of 30 having sold two companies to Google and was in this position in his life where he could make a lot of choices about the next adventure he would have. And he never forgot that he came from the developing world, and it was really important to him to find a way to help people learn to speak English because if you can speak English in Guatemala, you can earn hundreds of percents more. Like your social mobility, your economic mobility is exponentially better if you can speak English. And so Duolingo initially launched as a language learning platform for Spanish speakers originally thinking in Central America to learn how to speak English. And what it's now become since 2011 is uh, the most downloaded education app ever uh, with more than 300 million users and we teach more than 35 languages and it's all free. It's all on my phone. It's all, yeah, it's on your phone. What language are you learning right now? Uh, Well, still Spanish. Spanish, I'm always trying to learn Spanish. Okay. But I know there's tons more now. Yeah, yeah. And we've um, actually sort of ventured into some interesting spaces too with with languages that are are really dying languages. Um, Mm. You know, languages Mm. like Irish and Navajo and Native Hawaiian. And so it's it's pretty neat. And we've gotten some recognition for trying to save some languages as well. That's cool. What's what's the statistic on that? I mean, I I don't know if you're going to know this off the top of your head, but isn't it that dozens or hundreds of languages every year go away forever because the last speaker dies off. Yeah, that is totally true. I don't know what the statistic is, but languages every year are dying. 
Yeah. I am sorry to turn you into a uh, social linguist all of a sudden. No, no, no. I, well, so one of the things about, and, and this will be an interesting thing for us to talk about, is like how much this career switch from admissions to working in tech has like stretched me professionally. Definitely not a social linguist. Also not an expert in language assessment, you know, test measurement, psychometrics, artificial intelligence. But now I spend a lot of time talking about those things. So you, so let's, let's kind of go there. But first, so, so your role. Mm -hmm. So the, yeah. that is an, as a background, the where, where is it now? What's your, what's yeah. your role then? Yeah. So let me talk a little bit about the origins of the Duolingo English test. So we launched this language learning app and for years we had, you know, all kinds of people, tens of millions of people learning yeah. English. And what we started to get were requests from our users to certify their English. They're like, thank you for teaching me English for free, but now I want to, I want to get a job and I want to show people that I can speak English and the, the ways that I can do that are really expensive and sometimes hard to access depending on where they lived. And so can you help me with this too? And Luis thought about it and realized that we were in this unique position, having amassed more data than anyone in the world about how people learn languages and having a lot of expertise in building a technological platform to develop a test that is now the Duolingo English test. Um, so we launched that three years ago, uh, well, two and a half years ago, um, the summer of 2016, we're entering our third admission cycle. And now we have about 400 universities that recognize the Duolingo English test. Um, and my role is specifically helping with the expansion of the test. So I have been overseeing all of the university partnerships that we have, all of the engagement with school counselors, um, and the strategic development of expanding this test in a world that is pretty set in its way is universities in terms of how they consider different kinds of assessments. Um, it's, it's definitely something that you have to break into. Yeah. So, uh, so that's I want to get right to that. Yeah. So this is a this is a, a field that says language proficiency. Yeah. That has its definite incumbents. It has yes. tests that have been around forever. Absolutely. And what has that been like as you've been having these conversations with people? Yeah. Has it been? Uh, is is there a sense that that the um, that that these tests are that there's something uh, kind of broken with them, or is it a sense from do people generally understand? Yeah. On the ground what your founder experienced and what is, you know, really common, like it's not very accessible, uh, that these tests have been around though forever um, and very entrenched. Is yeah. that, is there, a, are you seeing kind of a, 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 a growing kind of movement towards that? I think there is a trend. Um, I, I think that, and, and honestly why I left admissions is because I myself had arrived at a point where I had seen enough in, you know, 17 years of international recruitment and dozens of countries and thousands of students and tens of thousands of applications that I'd read that I, I was in China last September when a major admissions test was canceled. I then went directly to this conference in Boston, NACAC in Boston. I gave a session with the women who were just here, um, my international crew of admissions and counseling ladies, um, about the bubble bursting for international students and, and how we can't take for granted in the United States that we are the number one destination for international right. students. Yeah, and sure. when this opportunity came up at Duolingo, I just felt like I have to do this. like Because it was the first thing that I've seen that I felt like we have a chance to to really transform how people think about testing. And, and we have a model, we're doing it in a way that's much more accessible and much more affordable. And, and I think, you know, given the, even recent events in the last 30 days with standardized testing for international students, we have to change. It, there's just too many barriers for students. Yeah. So let's talk a second about the, the data side. Because yeah. I'm a big data nerd. Oh no, okay, um, here we go, Brad. So the, the fact that there are these, and, and it, it has to be a small cadre of us who move from 
uh, the admissions world into uh, into the technology world. Right. Um, actually, all of us might be sitting around this podcast right now. Here we I are. Think that's, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'll go with that. Sure, could, go with we that. could start a professional organization, and this is that's our first it. meeting. That's excellent. excellent. Well, cheers. Naturally. Yeah, cheers. cheers to that. What's the acronym? We don't need to know the name of the thing. We just need to know the I acronym. I podcast. I don't know. What did you say? I don't know. We'll come up by the end of the podcast. Okay. More beer, we'll definitely okay. get it figured yeah. out. Yeah, yeah. So uh, tell, tell me about sort of your, your learning curve in terms of understanding, like, what is a fundamentally different scale and size of data. Um, and also... Um, I th another question I would have for you, so we can ask two at one time, is um, as you've had to interact with hyper nerds, you know, oh, yeah. real data, like data science teams and AI yeah. people and predictive modeling people and technology people, tell us like what you've learned in the admissions profession and sort of how you've made that transition to interacting with, um, you know, sort of a different type of a different type of professional. Yeah, um, yeah. That's so, interesting. <laughs> uh, because I think that's something that, that uh, Tom and I have experienced. Big and and yeah. it'd, it'd be interesting to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah. Um, this is like really personal, but I, I, I will say I think that I have to credit my husband, who's a professor of neuroscience at WashU, for preparing me for a life of being surrounded by hyper nerds. Um, because the admissions profession, we're like professional extroverts, right? Yes. And, yes. and if you, I think if I hadn't sort of had this experience in my personal life of, of spending a lot of time with people who are much more introverted and an academic, um, it would have been a little more surprising to me, but I, I have some of that personality already in my everyday life. Um, and So you've been to enough cocktail parties? that are already awkward that you you already knew what you're getting um, into. Yeah, that's that's like my 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 real life, yeah. 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 <laughs> I spend a lot of time with with people in the department of neuroscience. Yeah. So we we have we share something in common. I too am married to a neuroscientist. Well, cheers to that. Believe I think. it or not. Cheers what, to what that. What region of the brain are you um, most expert in? <laughs> oh, exactly. Yeah. Um I believe my husband is a molecular neuroscience, okay. so super basic science and he does autism research. Okay. Yeah. He studies proteins. Area V4. Uh, oh my gosh! Yeah, yeah vi visual uh, visual recognition in area V four V four. Oh, visual recognition, yeah. interesting. Yeah, she okay. uh, taught monkeys to play video. Games. Oh yeah, yeah, no, I, I know people who do that. So this uh, prepares you. It, it, it does. We'll probably cut all this out, but this is a maybe we won't. No, uh, so anyway, cheers again. Cheers, no, to neuroscience. Cheers. Um, yeah. So there are. You, okay. So all right. Science so this, spouses unite. Th th yeah, and th this is a third detour, but. Does your other half ever get angry when you're watching TV and, they're, and they say, humans only use 15% of your brain? Does that happen in your house? Because my wife will stand up and be like, that's outrageous. We use 100% of our brain. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, I think, I think um, people who understand and see the world differently because of all of the all of the education and nuances that they've been exposed to are outraged by a lot of things that the rest of us take for granted. That's, yeah. that's probably true. Right? It's probably true. So uh, we'll get back to, we'll get the, back to the, it. The, the original question. Um, when, but, yeah. when, you, when you had to um, professionally sort of connect with a different yeah. professional style than perhaps you were used yeah. to in the tech industry, how did that go for you? And, and what lessons can you maybe pass on to other folks who might make the admissions to tech yeah. transition? Um, I will say having worked at a university my entire life until eight months ago, there's such a different pace working at a tech company, right? Like things happen so quickly. We have to pivot all the time. And 
I didn't know how that was going to go. Um, and I do feel like it has stretched me in terms of like a lot of times I'm like, we've just got to be flexible. Like we're, we're, we're building the plane as we fly it. And as I think about building my team and preparing them to come on as well. And, you know, people keep on asking me, we just hired three new people to join the team in the Duolingo English test. And people keep on asking me what their jobs are. And I'm like, well, we've never had these jobs before. There's a lot of work to do, but there's no, there's no set narrative for what they're going to do. We're going to yeah. figure it out. And yeah. part of it will be, you know, based on what their strengths are. And that's been really neat, like to be able to, to try new ideas based on your strengths and your networks and your interests. And, and I have really appreciated the amount of opportunity for creativity in that kind of environment. And I have found it to be refreshing. Yeah, absolutely. I, could not agree more. Yeah, it you is. Just yeah. nailed it. I yeah. think we've both experienced oh, that. Oh my gosh! Yeah, my first my first real experience with it was like even before I joined the company when I'd be like, yeah, it'd be kind of cool if we did this, blah 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 blah. Yeah. And I need this, and then like literally they call me like three months later saying, oh yeah, we built that. So I had to actually watch what I say around some of these folks. You're like oh, that thing you talked about. Yeah, we actually did it. Did yeah. It but the idea of um, so this is one thing I've kind of noticed. We've done a podcast about this, like the, just the just the planning and strategy styles from higher education and enrollment management and, and the space that we're in, where uh, on, the, on, the, on the enrollment side, you, you're, you're trying to come up, you spend a lot of time, let's say over the summer, coming up with these big strategies and yeah. plans, and you're trying to figure out contingencies. Yeah. Like, well, this happened, maybe we do this, but it, it's a full-on plan. To use your metaphor, they're really trying to design the plane. Like, yeah. so we need to know what color the seats are in the plane. Right. Because when we get there, how are we going to know what yeah. seats are? This the vomit like, bags are already designed. It's literally like, okay, I got a couple wings. It will fly. Technically, it will fly. Technically. And then we're going to figure it out from there. And that freaks people out. It originally freaked me out. But what is awesome about it is you're going to try to figure out, as you're going along, things you could not have foreseen. Right. And you need to be able to be able to pivot and adjust. Right. And I don't, I don't think that's too antithetical to how higher education could work. Right. It's just the way it currently does right. is big planning. And then we we execute the plan, and then we assess it later. Yeah. Versus little plan, execute, learn, shift, iterate, then do it all over right. again. Little plan, execute, and then evaluate. And that to me has been just the biggest, you know, mind expander. Right. I don't know. That that, that been totally. And and a lot of my admissions and counseling colleagues have commented about how grateful they are that we are able to incorporate feedback, and we can incorporate feedback because. Nothing set in stone. Yeah. If somebody if somebody tells us that something isn't working well for them or asks us to consider doing something differently, we can change it. And, and the nimbleness, it, you know, in some ways, it's it's almost stunning because it's so different than we admission cycles are not nimble at established universities. Um, but but I think that we're really able to serve the ecosystem better by being nimble. And and that's honestly so much more aligned with our culture now, right? Oh, 100%. I, I, I'm sorry, I didn't track that one. No, no. That's right. I'm, 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 you said so, right, and you know something, Jen? You are absolutely right. More beer. Uh, um, Always. I'm sorry, I dropped that one badly. So the, um, what I'm really interested in is, okay, so you have these, these testing organizations, you have the, the tests, you have centers that people have to go to yeah, take these tests. Right. Duolingo doesn't do that. No. It's on demand. It's on demand, online, available anytime, no appointments needed. So the test is $49. 
The established tests usually cost at least 200 US dollars per test. You have to go to a test center. Sometimes those test centers are close by. Sometimes they're in other countries. So there can be other costs associated with them. Sometimes those test centers fill up. Sometimes you don't realize you have to take a test in time to meet a deadline. And so you're without a test and that may impact the trajectory of your application. It might not be complete. You might get denied. And so what we can do is, is deliver a test to a student anytime they want. It's like going shopping on Amazon. There's no appointment needed. You just decide you want to take the test and you pay for the test. It's $49. And we then uh, machine score the test. So we use artificial intelligence to score the test. It's uh, available within 48 hours. The other thing to know about the test is it's only 45 minutes long. These other tests are three or four hours long. And the reason why it's only 45 minutes is because it's adaptive. So it is the first... English language proficiency test that's adaptive and, and you know what we're doing is using all kinds of machines, artificial intelligence to power the adaptiveness of that test. Um, and we have constantly renewing material for the test. So test items change daily uh, because of the way that we source test items through artificial intelligence and then run them through models and then those models of whatever items are run then become available for the adaptive test to grab from to, to test the test. What I love about it is that language is evolving. It's shifting and changing. Yeah. But the traditional method of creating tests is, you know, um, it's called item response theory. You, you create an item and then you right. test it and you norm it. And then once it's set, it's set and you have multiple versions, etc. But it's a much more different, much more static yes. way to create a test. And that's been the traditional way that standardized tests have been created. We create the item bank and then we get a bunch of people to take the test, and then we're gonna find out what items uh, aren't performing well, Right. and then we're gonna produce it, and it's a big secret right. what we're producing until it's out, and then we gotta control the environment that it's in. But Duolingo, you know, Duolingo, as I'm reading it, came in and said, look, we got all this data about how people learn languages, mm -hmm. and we're gonna let that drive how we know people have learned a language based on the proficiency they're showing uh, as they're going along. For that the, to me is just yeah, amazing. For the most part, although I do want to clarify, right? if, yes, but for okay. the most part, there is that. But we also have built this test on the Common European Framework of Reference, which is the universally recognized assessment of English proficiency. So okay. we are not a completely different model, um, and and all of our test items are aligned to the Common European Framework Got of it. Reference. Um, so yeah, that makes sense. Uh, it's more how we source our test items yeah. and how we use the test items in the adaptive engine that is really different than what everyone else is doing. Does it, does it go through the same sort of psychometric vetting process? Yeah. Uh, so you generate the test items from wherever you generate them from, and you said they change daily? They, they can change daily because we're generating them daily. They, they are automatically generated. Got it. And, and so they go through some sort of very rapid psychometric sort of analysis yes. because your data set is big enough to test it. Yes. You know, normally what you have to do is you have to have enough people take it to take in it. order for your sample size to be big enough to understand the validity. You guys are obviously at a scale where issue. you can do that. Right. So every single day you can go, we're going to throw out X percentage of questions because they aren't. Correct. Right. Correct. So we can put them through these models that we've developed and it'll then put them in bins based on where they fall on the common European framework of reference. And so as we're testing somebody, we're leveling up and leveling down depending on how well they're answering questions and we're giving them questions that are, you know, sometimes we're like, we're realizing we're challenging them too much. So we're going to back off a little bit and then we're going to try you again, Brad. We're going to yep. see how you do with this. Yep. Brad, I'm successful. We're going to try again, get a little harder. I understand. Unlike two questions ago, I now get it. 
And so now you're, now you're going to make it a little bit harder, a little bit more difficult for me. You're about to say something that's conceptually abstract. Right. And then I'm going to be like, Jen, I'm sorry. I don't, I don't get know. That. And so we're going to say, okay, we're going to take it down a notch for you. Yep. I, I imagine that if I were to take the test, it would be taken down a number of notches. I don't think so. I don't think it's, so. So I assume you've taken the test. I have taken the test a couple times. Uh, and is it like fun? Like what, what is like, so it seems as though if you're rethinking the entire way that, that testing is done um, and it's done online, it's done on, you know, can it be done on a phone? No, it can't be done okay. on a phone for security reasons. Okay, got it. Uh -huh. yeah. So it's done online. Um, I mean, is it like you, you've, you've presented it as almost a whimsical experience. Is it still a test? It's still a test. Okay. It's a test, right? Yeah. But... I think it's a test in an environment that students have become really accustomed to. It's on their computer. It's comfortable. It's on their own computer. You know, a lot of students, when they go into these test centers, they don't use their own computers for sure. Right. And sometimes they have to use computers that have keyboards that are in a language that is not their first oh, yeah. language. Good point. Good point. And that is really stressful. Yes. So here they are. They're at home. They're in their quiet environment whatever hour if they're a night owl they can take it at night they don't have to wake up early in the morning and you know travel miles to take the test they can take it whenever they want so there's i think a comfort level of it and it's not gamified in the way that the duolingo language learning app is at all but it's only maximum 45 minutes and depending on how quickly our adaptive engine can accurately assess your proficiency for me it only took about 25 minutes every time I take the test. Um, and so it's quick and it just goes by fast. And I'm a native English speaker, so it's probably not super taxing for me, but it's, it, it meets you where you're at. And, and, and honestly, some of the questions and some of the words that I get and some of the words that I need to figure out, I'm like, man, this is hard. I've never seen this word before. How'd you do? Did you do okay? I did okay, but I actually don't <laughs> brag about my score because I should do better. You should. I should do better. Well, I think you just need to use the Duolingo app in order to practice up. Yeah, yeah. The CEO of our company who is not a native English speaker has a better score than me. And honestly, that's not too surprising. Not that that has anything to do with you, but I imagine that like after a lifetime of learning the colloquialisms of American English, that when you're tested up against a sort of European framework, one of my closest friends from grad school, she is a non-native English speaker. She's from Poland, um, and her English is just beautiful. It yeah. is better than mine yeah. by orders of magnitude. Um, so I can totally see that, especially if you are, um, if you've learned English in Europe instead of the U.S. or as a second language elsewhere in the world. Right, right. Because it's being compared up against some sort of European framework. Is that yeah, right? it is. And, and I think there's something to that. I think when you've intentionally studied a language, you've really learned how to speak the language properly, unlike my Eastern Massachusetts upbringing, where <laughs> there are some things that we don't say well. Like, like what? I was going to say there are some things we don't say good. Uh, there are some things we don't say goodish. Uh, Wicked what, good. What Wicked some, good. What are some things you don't say properly in, in New Lost England? Lost I don't know. Um, well, I have a good idea. Okay, okay. That, that, that's a good one. How about these popovers aren't hot enough? These popovers aren't hot enough, yeah. Oh, there it is. <laughs> there it is. If I drink enough of this beer, I'll, it'll really oh, come that, out. That, yeah. that, that so, is awesome. So I'm curious. Okay, you're going and you're talking to these schools. Is there is there any response that like you know ugh, another test? I mean, is there any like you know, why does the world need another test? Yeah, is there any of that? Yeah. And then what do you what's your response back to that? I will I will say like it's not exciting to be talking about just a test. Like if if if, if you if you can only lead with we're another test, nobody really wants to right, listen. Sure. <laughs> so 
presumably that's not your pitch. That's not my pitch. <laughs> I, yeah, that's not my pitch. I, you know, I think what my pitch has been, um, and, and what I think schools are really interested in right now, is democratizing access to education. And to the extent that we can lower barriers for students, that we can make it less expensive, that we can make it more accessible, and that we have the technology to leverage to do so is, is much more compelling than it's another test. Um, but the reality is, is you know, a lot of schools have started changing testing policies, whether, whether they're requirements or recommendations, because they recognize that there are all these challenges with tests. But it doesn't eliminate the reality that we need good information to make admissions decisions. And I think one of the values of what we've done is not just create this proficiency test, but we also have this 10 minute video interview and a writing sample. And both are conducted via artificial intelligence as well. So depending on how well you do on your, on your proficiency test, the video interview questions are also going to be aligned at the same level as CEFR, the Common European Framework of Reference. That's really so sharp. if you're an expert speaker, you're going to get expert level interview questions. But if you're uh, an A1 speaker, which, you know, is like what I am in like 10 languages, like, you know, how to order some food and say hello and where's the bathroom and a couple of colors, then you're going to get some questions like describe your family, um, much more simple questions. And so I think that that is of huge value to institutions because you're getting more than a score. You're, and, and students, I think, find it valuable, too, because it's a chance for them to show something about themselves that's more than just this like distillation of some number that represents how they did in a 45-minute test. Was there an interaction when you were still campus-based and you were traveling around? Is there an interaction or a, a, a student that you remember, obviously not by name, but a student that you remember that for you really crystallizes why this is such a passion for you? Yeah, like like why international yeah. education is no, 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 but the, the 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 democratization of it. The, yeah. You about oh man. Where students were having trouble. Is there one yeah. that you, that really stands out to you? There are a lot of kids that stand out to me. I, you know, I, I was talking with somebody recently, and they were like, "What's the highlight of your you know international admissions career?" And I was like, "The highlight reel is really long." Um, same with the students who you know run through my mind, and I'm still friends with on Facebook, and I've gone to some of their weddings. But I think about some kids that we admitted a lot. They were probably 12 years ago at Duke University, we admitted um, one Tibetan, and directly from Tibet. And then we, in subsequent years, admitted two Tibetans, three Tibetans, you know, another one Tibetan. So we had this, we had this community of Tibetans at Duke University. And we really just went out on a limb for them because we felt like it was important to have them represented, but they had no test scores at all. They just had these transcripts from a Chinese high school. And there was an American at the time who was working with these students and helping them to apply to college. And we, we really just took his word for it. And we invested a ton of university resources to have these students come to campus. And they were incredible kids. And, and you know, they were, they, they were I, I think about them all the time because I think about, there are so many kids like that, that if they don't have an advocate, if they don't have a surrogate, they're they're not going to find a path to education. Um, and and I think we can we can serve those kinds of kids now with this test. Well, absolutely. Cheers. Cheers. I know we really Cheers to that. That is Cheers. awesome. Absolutely. Awesome. Uh, so, Jen, if people wanted to reach out to you, what's the best way for them to do that? Oh, oh, that's great. If people want to reach out to me, uh, Jay Dewar at Duolingo.com. Awesome. Thank you so much for joining us. We appreciate it. I'm glad to be here. Thank you guys for having me. Absolutely. Thanks, Jen. The Waitlist Podcast is a supporter of the Creative Commons and open source online communities everywhere. A link to the bump music used in this podcast can be found in the show description and at capturehighered.com forward slash waitlist.